Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning and welcome to Military Network Radio. We're very, very glad that you have joined us this morning. We are talking about a topic that I think has been discussed a lot of times, but very superficially. And I have with me today Les David as co-host. Welcome this morning, Les. Good morning. I am so glad that you're on with us. We are going to be talking about the transitioning student veteran. And there are so many aspects of why this is an important topic, because I think we all want to set our veterans up for their next phase of their lives with success. But I think there's a lot of catchphrases, and I think that people don't know what some of those things mean. And let's talk today about the very real aspects that occur when someone is deciding they want to go back to school. What are they choosing? What's a good fit? And then, Les, I know that you have worked with student vets for a very long time. There's yeah. a good fit sometimes, and sometimes there's not. Agree? I totally agree. Sometimes you see veterans who they've got great aspirations and they're trying to find the, the right college and they're talking to a lot of people, but they, they go on and when they're getting out, they kind of spin. They'll go to one college, it's not the right fit. Then I've seen them go to another college, it's not the right fit. And they, a lot of them just give up. And that's, that's where they don't want to be, Linda. Yes, exactly. And I think finding your way is very important. And I'm going to put it right out in front before we even start. There is this phrase that I have issue with because of the folks that I have worked with. And that word is in air quotes, veteran friendly. I'm not at all sure if that means anything at all. It it indicates to a veteran that, oh, they're going to understand me and where I'm going to be and, you know, what I've been through and, and how much I have to offer. And yet when it comes right down to it, whether it's in employment or education, oftentimes that's a catchphrase that people think they need to have at the institutions uh, or even in places of employment, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Am I being too harsh? Not at all. You you have these magazines like GI Jobs magazines from Victory Media, uh, U.S. Veteran Magazine, others that they send these schools, these surveys. Mm-hmm. And you, you fill out the survey and all of a sudden you get a letter back saying, hey, you're in the top 15 percent, you're in the top 3 percent. But nobody ever checks what the what the schools are putting into these surveys. So we, we're just leaving it up to the school itself or even the business uh, to make accurate statements. So I got I have the same issue as you do. The best thing for the vet to do is actually go visit the campus. Right. And, and you know, there are, are lots of, um, well, there's, there are some, let me put it that way. There are some programs that will match you with a vet who can walk you each step of the way. But we're going to be talking with Karina Money today, who is the author of The Transitioning Student Veteran. And she came to this, we'll let her tell her story, you know, very interestingly, but we're going to touch on some points today that are often not spoken about. So how do you choose a major? How do you find your way in a system that you heard was veteran friendly, but you're finding that you 
you're more mature, you've been through more, um, you may not have the same priorities that your uh, fellow students older. Um, how portable is this work if you have to change locations, duty stations, if you're still active duty? And there are a lot of things that are misconceptions even at the professor level. And I'm very intrigued because when Karina and I spoke prior to the show, these are aspects that are just not talked about. Everyone likes to say, you know, student vets, we're here to help them, et cetera. And I think the intentions are good. But we all know what happened with that road paved with good intentions. And so today we're going to take the mask off some of this and put it right out in front. Before I introduce Karina, any other topics you want to make sure we cover today, Les? Um, no, I, not at all. I think that uh, when I was looking at everything, I think we got a, a, a lot of information to put out. I, I think so, too. So without further ado, Karina Money, we are very, very delighted to invite you to Military Network Radio and pick your brain on this very unique population who deserves our attention. Welcome. Thank you, Linda. Good morning. Very excited to be here this morning. Well, we are as well. And I'll Les won't say it because he's too modest, but for the last 10 years, he has been working oh. working with student veterans and transitioning. And he has lots of questions, I'm sure, himself beyond what we have in front of us from um, preparing. But I think let's start first with how did you come to work with student veterans and, and how did this become an interest where you decided you needed to help them by providing this book? So for me, I am not a veteran, but I have many veterans in my family and my area of expertise is student success and retention. And I have always taught um, at, at a part time level simply because I love teaching. And the last six years, what I was seeing six years ago is more and more I would have student veterans in my classroom. And for me, I loved it because comparing them to uh, reg traditional students, they are more motivated, they hand their assignments in our on time, but what was happening is they would come to my office hours and they would say things like, I'm a third of the way through my benefits, I was put in a criminal justice major, I never wanted to do that, and I don't really know what to do now. And because my expert expertise is um, in career coaching, I try to work with them um, during my office hours and kind of help them through. And what I saw is that colleges were not doing enough to kind of work with them in the very beginning, once they enroll and, and help them kind of figure out how to use their military background and how does that translate into their civilian job prospects and what does this transition in between that into higher ed really mean? And my interest really peaked and I decided to do focus on this as a research area and also um, it expand my practice to serve veterans and help them make those transitions, which is kind of how I got started in the whole thing. Well, I think you found that, well, Les, you go ahead. Yeah, so Linda, I, I agree with that as, as I've been uh, talking to student vets. Matter of fact, I was at a career fair here in Jacksonville, Florida, about a month ago, and I was talking to the VA folks, and they they have a lot of uh, veterans that have come to them with MBAs. In Jacksonville, we have this abundance of veterans with MBAs, and the job market just doesn't support it. So, uh, you you know, picking the right 
um, right degree going into the right career field is, is absolute. And I, I think it really uh, hit something there that should be researched by the vet prior to getting out or what's that field look like and where does it look good? That's where Karina was talking so much yesterday when we spoke, is that so often they get their help from their advisor who doesn't really understand how to translate what they're looking for. So Karina, tell us about how you feel the best practice is for when a veteran is considering what they want to do and what are the steps preliminarily to talk to someone about before they select a major or a path of study? I think the most important thing um, for institutions to realize is that what a student veteran really is. A student veteran is a subgroup of the non-traditional student. They're typically older, they have families, and they're going to college to get a degree in order to make that transition down the road into their civilian career. So they're, they're there to, they have a goal as soon as they start. They're not there to find themselves and to explore like an 18-year-old college student might be. They already have an idea of what it is they want to do. And everything they're doing in their coursework or their internships is a stepping stone to that end goal. And I think it's so important to work with them in the very beginning and kind of go through and see what it is they're interested in and kind of do an evaluation to see how their coursework and choice of major or recommended major, is that going to help them achieve that goal? And one way I think that has worked for me in my practice my private practice and also working with student veterans over the last couple of years is using personality type assessments. So taking, you know, doing a, it's, I use a version of the Myers-Briggs, but it doesn't have to be limited to that, but you look at and see what is their personality and how does that, th those career, their personal career goals and the goals of this assessment match up. And then you factor in what about what they did when they were in active military? Do they want to continue with that training that they received? Did they like what they were doing? Do they want to somehow translate those skills into their next career move? And if they do, great. But if they don't, how can you take that military experience and translate into civilian work experience, regardless of what industry it is? Because that experience is so valuable. And I think that, you know, Use, doing that at the very, very beginning, within their first semester of entering higher ed is so incredibly important to set them up for success down the road. How, how is, oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, no, yeah, go ahead, Les. I was wondering how that, uh, how that approach is being received by the veterans. <laughs> uh, I, I, from my experience, it's been received incredibly well because what it really does is that it, it narrows down um, certain prospects for their major or their future careers. So sometimes you come up with things that, oh, I never thought of that. And yes, that would be interesting. Or it really just gives them an idea of, you know, what industry to go into and why. And it's kind of, it's not just about giving an assessment because frankly, anybody can do that and you can go online and do that. It's about really taking and what the individual has done and what they want to do and focusing on that student veteran as an individual and tailoring all those things specifically to them. Perfect. You know, we're coming up on our first break. And, you know, I think it's interesting because 
the kind of coaching that you're talking about can save them so much time, but more importantly, it asks them to truly assess where they are now, where they would like to be, what are they good at, what do they wish they didn't have to do again because it wasn't serving them well. And I, I think those are things that often life is very busy. It's hard to think of. So after the break, we'll continue looking at that. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Rena Money about the transitioning student veteran, and we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. The League of Women Voters reminds you that on Election Day, we are all equal. Please join your friends and neighbors by registering to vote and going to the polls November 8th. Visit www.vote411.org to find out who will be on your ballot and how the voting process works in your community. This election is about our future, and we all need to weigh in. is National Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago, and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolatl, which referred to the bitter, spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Karina Money and the transitioning student veteran. And before the break, we were talking about the importance of understanding your learning style for success, understanding where you want to go, uh, awareness, um, personality type even, and and how it matches up. And so let's continue with that discussion on how that, Lessa just asked you, how is that received by the veteran? And let's dig into that just a little bit. Are they usually prepared to answer those questions or are you actually raising things that they had not considered? So I think one of the ways um, that's so important for to succeed in that, especially in that first year of college, is how does somebody learn? And as we just said, you know, student veterans are non-traditional students, meaning they're older. And because of that, what that also means is that they have probably been out of school for quite a while, whether it's someone who started and went had a deployment and is coming back, or what it's somebody who is starting for the first time in their mid-20s or in their 30s. And it's difficult to know what your learning style is and how you would approach that in the college setting. And the best way to really illustrate that, and this is something I use with my students frequently, is 
you know, if I asked you and your listeners to, you know, write your name on a piece of paper with your dominant hand, whether you're a righty or lefty, and then you, and then I'd ask you again to write your name with the other hand. Now, what happens is your dominant hand, you're fine. And when you're asked to write your name again, can you do it? Of course you can, but it's uncomfortable. It, it doesn't come as naturally. It's not as easy to do. Now, imagine if you didn't know what your learning style was and you had to go through your entire college journey using your non-dominant hand in everything you did. Huh. It would be awkward, right? So yes. knowing what your learning style is also lets you know what it's not. And what um, I specialize in is giving you the coping skills and what do you do when you're in a situation that's not. If you're, if, if you're someone who preference it is to write papers. You can't go through college and tell every professor, I need to write a paper to do well in this class. You're going to have to take exams. And if that's not your preference, how do you do that? What do you do? What do you do when the professor's teaching style does not align with your learning style? And knowing that information and having that awareness really has been proven to be, in my experience and research supports, this such a huge factor in students succeeding and doing well. And when you take that and have that awareness, you know exactly how to handle situations where that is not what you're naturally, what your natural preference is to do. And when you can use that learning preference and that personality type to also see if you're in the right major, sometimes just like writing with the non-dominant hand may not feel right when you're studying and how you prefer to learn, you can be in the wrong major. And if you're in the wrong major, the coursework isn't going to feel right. Sure, you can go through the motions, you can pass your classes, but then when you're at the end and it's time to do something with that degree, if you've been in the wrong major the whole time, then what you, the question becomes, what am I doing with it? This isn't the right thing for me. And that goes back to how important it is to take care of this in the very beginning of that first semester. Well, Corinne, what, what a, as, you're, as you've talked to these vets and counseled these vets that when they come to the end of their education and they realize, man, I did the wrong thing, what advice? I mean, what do you do? Because they're running out of GI Bill benefits. They're, uh, I mean, what, what is the next step for these people? What do, what do you tell them when they finally so face this reality? In, in, I mean, it's a, it's a problem. I mean, I've had student veterans come to me and say, you know, I, I've gone through almost all my, uh, my benefits. I can't switch majors. Like they, they don't, they can't do it. And, you know, at that point, you have to kind of figure out how you can take your degree and what you've learned, plus your, you know, background and experience. Can you translate those skills? How do you transfer what you know, what your degree is into a different industry. And you can do it. There are ways you can do it, but it, you know, it takes someone who knows exactly how to take those steps. So for example, you know, if you are stuck in a criminal justice degree, for example, and you get to your senior year and you've gone through your benefits, you're like, I don't want to go into this. I prefer to go into business. Well, how do you do that? you know, this is what your degree is in. And one way to do that is you take whatever your military background is, and if you had some sort of management skills in that, meaning you were in charge of a team or a group, 
you know, there's different areas within that field you can do. Just because you're a criminal justice major does not mean you have to go out and be a police officer. There, are, you can kind of translate those skills in a way. But that's therein lies the problem: is that when institutions are not helping veterans figure this out in the beginning, sometimes they get stuck with, with a degree that is not what it, what they should have been doing because it's not what they want to be doing. So that I think that's the issue. That's why it's so important to try to have that not happen. So as these service members are transitioning out of the military during that last year, they're, they're going through their transition classes. This is this, you know, this is part of that, that the education piece. Is this where they should really begin to look and really begin to investigate what careers are the best for them? That, yeah, that's part of it. But also, I think that as they're, you know, making that transition into higher ed and as they're starting their academic journey, that's where they should really be, you know, in that first semester, really kind of figuring that out and working with someone qualified to help them go on that path to to success. And the, the success is defined in so many different ways. But you know, when I work with student veterans, success is, you know, what is essentially going to be your civilian career, but, you know, what's going to make you happy? What, what? It's not a job. You're not training for a job. It's your career, which is a completely different thing. So yeah. I think it's so important to do that, as you said, as they're transitioning out, but also in that first semester, once they're in enrolled in the institution. Absolutely. I was really interested to see uh, that the, a large majority, as you said earlier, I, mean, I think it's near 50 percent uh, of people that are in school, of our transitioning vets and veterans that are from that 24 to what, uh, 40s, mid 40s age, age group, yeah, yeah. which is completely different than the people they're going to class with. And so right. I think they've got it. Like we said, it, their goals are different. Their, their mindset's different. They add a lot of experience to the classroom. And so it's, a, it's just a different, uh, it almost changes the culture of the classroom and school, don't you think? It does. And, you know, for, for me as a faculty member, I love having veterans in my classroom. They're motivated. They're organized. Um, they hand in things on time. And, you know, that is, I think, adds to the dynamic of the classroom. And one of the difficulties that working with student veterans that I have found is kind of adjusting to sitting next to that 18 year old, you know, person who's all about where am I going? What bar am I going to tonight? You know, can barely stay awake in class. And it's a difficult adjustment for someone in their late twenties or early thirties. It's kind of like, well, what are you doing here? If you're not here to learn and pay attention. And it's, figuring out how to work with that 18 year old, especially when there are group projects involved for as part of the coursework. It's that, you know, I have found that student veterans are doers, you know, they, they get the job done, they get the um, assignment done. And, you know, a lot of times they're in a group where there, there's a slacker in the group as typical in group projects. And, and it's, you know, they get frustrated and, and annoyed with, with good reason. But Part of that transition into higher ed is realizing that you are going to be sitting next to these these people who who are not like you, do not have the life experiences you do, and you know, trying to adjust to that and, and it's all about handling you know that situation. 
And another thing that I have found, which surprised me when it first happened years ago is for me, every time I would have, whether it was three student veterans in a classroom or 15, I, could, I loved it. It was a wonderful addition to my coursework. And I have sat in on faculty meetings where there would be somebody that said, oh God, I have 15 veterans in my class. And my question, I couldn't understand why this was an issue for this person. And they're like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how to handle them. I don't know how to handle that. And I think part of that is that there's so many statistics out there that are wrong. But I, I, I found that to be, you know, disheartening. I, I couldn't understand it. And they were like, well, what if they, you know, freak out? And what if they, I don't know how to handle them. And that was, you know, because of, I think, the bad information that's out there. There's so many statistics that are wrong because, um, you know, statistics out there say student veterans don't, you know, do, don't do as well as their non-veteran peers. Student veterans have other issues that, you know, other college students don't have. And the reality for that is that how do you measure success? What is student success? And when you're looking at retention rates, you know, if a student leaves an institution, the institution reports them as dropped dropped out or transferred, and those are that gets factored into their retention numbers. Um, the reality is, if a student, if you're a student veteran and you start at College X, and for whatever reason, whether it's a deployment or whether there's life situations where you move, and you leave College X but then you go move to wherever you're, moving, you're going and you continue your studies at College Y and you graduate from College Y, are you a success? Well, yeah, because you got your degree, but College X is reporting you as a failure, which is where those mm. numbers come in. Yeah, let me, I, I can explain to that, you know, and here's, here's two examples of that. Right now, my son's in the military. He started off going to St. Leo University and then he's transferred to Central Texas College because he's in Japan. So these, these happen, even me, I went to Kansas State University, Central Chicago, Central, yeah, Chicago Community College, and then uh, ended up at Bellevue, so Bellevue University. So we do this because that's just, that's just the way it is. Now transitioning veterans, or they're already out, they're trying to find that. I don't know if that's a failure or not, and you're right, that, that stat is, is, I don't know if it's reported accurately. Well, well, the issue is that it's not, there's no, there's no, best practices model right now to kind of follow one veteran through their entire academic process and follow track them through the different colleges. Um, you know, and then it, it's just, this is why I think faculty members have this impression of what a student veteran is, which is completely wrong. Well, I know wow. that my instructors told me they would take a classroom full of veterans if, they, if we could find them. And that's where we're going to go after this next break, because I think it's very important we raise the issue. There is no accurate central tracking that can raise the awareness of faculty to understand that this, this, you're not getting a classroom of people who are going to drop out. Back after this break.
Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velocity is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where every spring we seem to get pummeled with hailstorms. What's another name for a thunderstorm? A cockeyed bob. The Guinness Book of World Records states the largest known hailstone in U.S. history was over seven inches in diameter. That's almost the size of a soccer ball. The famous hailstone was found in central Nebraska in June 2003. But if we think the hail's bad here in Texas, I guess it's better than living in parts of Africa, where they average 130 days of hailstorms each year. Other hail-prone areas include India, Russia, China, and Italy. The Aussies call hailstones drift ice, glazed frost, pancake ice, and frost flowers. I wonder how they measured hail before the invention of the golf ball. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Right before the break, we were talking about the fact that there is no central mechanism for tracking vets from start to finish of their career, which can lead to a conclusion that the retention rates are low and that professors may indeed take a negative view or at least a less than positive view um, if they have veterans thinking that, well, they're not invested in their uh, careers or their education. Uh, aspirations as much as what I'll call traditional students. But I think that things have been tried. And Les, I know that on the break we were talking about this, some universities and colleges have tried using a veteran-only classroom approach to alleviate the problem of being next to someone who's younger with really not very focused aspirations on where they want to go versus a focused veteran who has a mission. But that has pros and cons, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you know, Cleveland State University started this years ago uh, because their veteran uh, retention was so poor. And it did raise the retention. A lot of veterans stayed in school, at least through their first and second year. But they, they noticed and they stopped doing it because later on, um, as they became juniors and seniors, 
uh, it really affected them not being around the entire student body. So they have gone back now to more traditional uh, classrooms. Uh, we even tried to the school I worked at, and it was it was good short term, but again, you're not a, you're taking the vet out of um, where they really should be, which is intermix of civilian non-civilian. Right, and unless you pick up some of the civilian tendencies again, you're you're putting yourself in in rarefied air that is not what is typical. And so that's that's some that's somewhat challenging. So what I, I was very intrigued when we talked on break about the the good things that vets bring to the table. They bring that focus. They bring uh, the mission. They they really do have goals, and that part is important. But, but you were talking uh, yesterday, I believe, about things as simple as focusing in the classroom and not texting. You know, some of these things that we think you're paying a lot for this education. What are some of the study tips and skills that veterans do much better than their civilian counterparts? Karina? Yeah, I think that, you know, from my experience, um, and I've taught both all veteran classes and, you know, the regular traditional mixed classrooms. Mm -hmm. When I have student veterans in the class, what I find is that I am no longer saying things like, don't text, you know, put that down, you know, wake up, where's your assignment? I find that my student veterans actually start doing that for me. So if there's somebody sitting there texting, somebody will say, one of the veterans will say, what are you doing? Stop doing that. If there's an assignment due on a Wednesday and people come up and say, oh, I forgot, oh, I didn't do it what my veterans will say things like, well, why didn't you do it? It's on the syllabus. Today's Wednesday. It's due today. It's like, <laughs> they're just not understanding. Like, what, why wouldn't you do that? Um, and I think what that adds to the classroom environment is that it's accountability. It's kind of like, oh, well, so-and-so managed to get it done. I should really try to get the next one done. Or, you know, I find it refreshing I also think a lot of it has to do with maturity. I mean, let's be honest, the 28-year-old is going to be a lot more mature than the 18, 19-year-old. It, it's mm -hmm. just the nature of, of age and experience. So, um, you know, that that's one thing. But the other piece that they bring to the table, I think, is, you know, in discussions. Like, there's this perspective that, that comes in, that comes with experience, that comes with age, that comes with you know, being able to contribute a, a point of view that may or may not have been brought up without them being a veteran. And I find that that makes a, a class incredibly interesting, regardless of what the subject matter is. Do you think, Karina, that it raises the standard in the classroom when there are those that are more interested and focused on the class? I, I you know, sometimes yes, and sometimes it just doesn't, but I think for when it really raises the standard that I have seen is during group projects. So it's kind of like if you have a veteran that that's within your group, which doing an assignment, it they raise the standard within that group for the assignment. They hold people accountable and people actually perform better and do more, you know, because they want to finish the assignment and do it well. Um, I think that 
it depends on class size. If it's a huge lecture class, you know, it's I don't see it making that much of a difference. But if it's a smaller class where there's only 20 or 30 students in there and you have a number of student veterans who are kind of like, okay, look, let's just get this done. Let's pay attention to what the professor is saying. Let, let's, you know, let's try to look at it from this way. I think, yeah, I think what it does is it's that atmosphere in the classroom. It's that wanting to learn more want it's it raises engagement is what i would say mm. not so much competitiveness between students no and i i agree with that there's a certain i remember back when i first started uh in my my day just as personal experience when we were talking about management and being a you know coming out of the military staff sergeant held leadership positions and we were in a the, doing this book case study at with under uh the, the book way of leadership, and I, I was just, that's wrong. That, that's, that, that'll never work. <laughs> Perfect. And my, and my professor uh, took me aside and said, if you're going to have a comment, you've got to be able to intelligently talk about it and, and tell us what, why it won't work. Just don't say it won't work. you got to give us, and he really was, it was great with me because I was kind of a head case and thinking, this is not going to work. <laughs> I, I really researched it. And he drove me to that. So it is fantastic. It, it, we bring in such experience. And then if you got a good professor saying, well, explain yourself, give me an example. It adds to the value of the entire class, especially these 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are in there. That could really get something out of the, that, uh, that, that young leader and what he's experienced in his military uh, time. Great example. And, and I imagine, I mean, you said you were a head case. No, you were driven. You wanted to know what was working and you probably had no patience oh. with what you saw as academic. Um, I am glad that you had a professor that responded that way. You know, both Karina and Les, do you find that that is the norm or is that an exception to the rule? Well, I mean, me, when you're when you're facing someone in a classroom that is their classroom and you challenge them in some way, um, do you find the receptivity is good? In my experience with with I to remember his name was James Smith. He was very receptive to that um, to me and others in the classroom. Um, I've never had somebody talk back, talk down to me or tell me I was wrong. Mm -hmm. They just wanted me to further bring a better discussion to it. So I was I, maybe I was lucky that way. But they, mine have always been fantastic. Karina? Yeah, I, I can't speak for all faculty members. <laughs> um, I can speak for myself. And for me, I, like Les was saying, I always say to the student veteran, give me an example of that. Um, because, you know, that they, they have strong opinions about certain things. And I encourage that. But I don't want someone to say, well, no, that's not going to work. No, this makes no sense. It's great that you think that, but tell me why. Give me an example. Tell me how that's not going to work. And what that does is it not only um, allows the student veteran to really use an example to kind of prove their point, but it also, I feel like, shows the rest of the students in the room of how you have a proper discussion when you don't agree. Because, I mean, so much of, of you know, college is about that is how do you learn these concepts these theories these things and you don't have to agree with all of them you don't have to like them but how do they relate to actual practical knowledge and actual practical things and by talking about you know what the example we were talking about is like no this won't work well why and when you take that and whatever the concept is that the the lecture is about 
and you're applying it to something real, I think what that causes is that, you know, there's an aha moment where people are like, oh, wow, this stuff that this person, you know, the lecturer is talking about, it actually makes sense. It actually has to do with real stuff that I can relate to. So I love it when that happens. Well, I think you're bringing up the most important point to studies of, of any type. If there's relevance to it, then people are more likely to listen to it. So when you challenge the professor less, for example, that's intellectual curiosity as well as your experience. And Karina, when you talk about it, that you welcome it, isn't that what college and university is about? It's learning how to how to express yourself, how to persuade others, um, be able to discuss things that you hope are discussable, which in today's society is not necessarily true. So I would think that that aspect of engagement and discussion would also be great preparation for when they get out or have an internship or decide to go to the next level. You know, don't you feel that communication is one of the biggest aspects of education that is not usually stated up front, but if you can't communicate when you go into your job or your next field of work, how are you going to manage? Right, exactly. And, you know, as far as the different types of faculty members out there, it goes back to that learning style, teaching style thing. I mean, not everybody's going to want to hear the, the different opinions. It's, it's it really has to do with an individual teaching style. There are, you know, people out there who stand in front of a room and read slides and don't allow for any group discussion. And then there are people out there who encourage it. And it's, it's about, you know, the individual style. If you believe in active learning, if you want the students to be engaged and participate, or if you just want to get through the material. And that's kind of where it all comes in. But as far as relating to, you know, job interviews and internships and things like that, of course, it's incredibly valuable, I think. I, I think it's really important. And and I think all the examples that the two of you are giving are so relevant because it, it is very important. We're going to be talking further with Karina about the Transitioning Student Veteran, her book, in the next segment. We're coming up on a break now. And if you would like to follow along and learn more about Karina, you can go to KarinaMoney.com. That's Karina, K-A-R-I-N-A, money, just like it sounds, .com. And we will have a short break and then come back and talk further about the best tips for success in learning and where to go if you're interested in learning more. We'll be back after these short messages. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. 
into a room on a mission to get something and totally forgot what you went in there for? I do it all the time, which makes me feel like a total civ head, as the Brits would say. Some might blame it on old age, but a recent study reported in the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology suggests the simple act of passing through a doorway causes memory lapses. It appears the brain regards a doorway as an event boundary and effectively files away whatever you were thinking about as soon as you step through. What's a word for the feeling your thoughts are being stolen? Nucleptia. So, what's the solution? Try carrying an object that reminds you of the task. For example, if you go into another room to get a pair of scissors, carry the object you want to cut. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are, you know, it's interesting. We, we, I wish some of the breaks could be on so that you could hear what we talk about. Um, let's circle back to one thing that we talked about in our first segment when we talked about selecting uh, a major with some self-awareness and some questions to yourself. Um, and perhaps you have an advisor who thinks they know best. There are some really good studies coming out now, and I think it's the man who runs Dirty Jobs. I forget his name, Mike Rowe, Rowe. maybe? Yeah, Yeah. Mike Rowe, coming out and talking about the the real importance of not only college, but also for vocational jobs and training that might better suit, which the GI Bill can be used for. And so I'm asking this of both of you. When you get an advisor who's an academic track, but are the questions being asked of them that maybe guide them to what they really love to do is to get their hands dirty or to fix things or to do things like that. Because I don't know that everybody realizes that you can use the GI Bill for those sorts of jobs. So, so Les, talk about some of the things that you see. And Karina, jump right in. Both of you go for this. Absolutely. There's, um, I, it, it all started, and I think it raised Mike Rose's Eyebrow, and there was a, a bill passed. It was called the Good Jobs Act, and he talked about mm-hmm. this. Is like, well, every job is a good job. You're getting a paycheck, you know. So then he goes in to talk about uh, these jobs like plumbing, electrician, mechanic, um, you know, surveying, construction work, truck driving, all these. And there's there's 5.6 million jobs out there right now available for the person who has skill training. Mm. And and he's just a huge advocate, and he's always he just he just spent time in front of Congress again. Uh, I think it was the last week. Right. But this is this, these are great careers and you can get into them pretty quick. And what you know, what a vet loves is that seeing that light in the tunnel, meaning they want to see when they're graduating already. So they, they love what I've experienced with them, you know, over the last 10 years is they like seeing that um, that graduation right at the mm-hmm. end. Uh, it, and, and of course, there are some, again, they do traditional education and they do well. But there, there's just all these jobs, and just realize too that we joined the military for a reason. We, we, we didn't like college. That wasn't even part of our wheelhouse. We were, we wanted to do something. So that's, you know, a lot of us go in the military for that reason. So, it's been my experience is that these jobs, these trade jobs, are, there is pretty quick training, and they can get in and out of school and into a really good career. 
-hmm. and but we're not pursuing those and they're not really being uh, talked about in the transition centers it's always when you go to the education center it's always uh, what business class do you want to take or what this class do you want to take not really focusing on that next career truly in transition Karina you were talking about that at the beginning um, is that something that you feel uh, professors and advisors are also taking a look at the suitability does that fall into your personality and learning style piece um, so no I don't see them once you're in the college um, unless it's a community college type of environment I don't see them kind of exploring those aspects but you know when I was talking about earlier in the segment about what defines success for student mm -hmm. veterans so you know, we have these retention numbers and, and these statistics that we report, but what about that student who goes to college on his GI Bill or her GI Bill and they realize this isn't for me. So I am gonna go do that vocational training or that trade school and have an incredibly successful career. Are they a success? Well, in my book, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at the statistics, they're a failure, which is again, why that's wrong. And I, I think that that type of, advising and career counseling needs to take place before they go to the college that they're choosing, you know, because it, people should know, you know, have a better idea of what it is they want to be doing, right? Um, so that, that really is something that, you know, can be done in the transition offices, I think, you know, as far as that early intervention piece there. And again, this is why that personality type of assessment I was talking about earlier is so important because if mm -hmm. you do that before, as you're figuring out what it, what it is you wanna do, be it vocational or traditional higher ed, if you have that insight and that awareness about yourself, you can make a much more informed decision about which way to go. I love the personality test. That, that I think oh. that can take you to where you need to go. I also think veterans are, entrepreneurial spirited yeah and what quicker way than a skilled trade that you could get a lot of experience in that field and then really open your own business if you can take the bit if you have that uh, business acumen you know it brings up two points though um it, some college might be very helpful because it gives you the ability to communicate to write and to achieve but as you say it isn't for everyone and i think that veterans tend to be, as you said, more mission oriented. They know where they want to go next or they know what they love to do or they know what they're skilled at. And so if you find yourself on the wrong track, I, I think, Karina, I'm going to lob this question to you. Someone says, this just isn't working for me. I, I think I'm a washout. I'm, I'm this, that, and the other thing, because let's face it, they've been a success in their uh, military careers. And now they're facing something that maybe doesn't fit well. What are some of the tips that you talk to them about or questions you ask them to get them to refocus on what's the real issue here? Well, I think that's just it. You want to find out why. Why are they feeling that way? Why are they not succeeding in that endeavor? And let's just say it's, it's college. Let's say they're there and they're not getting good grades because it could be the wrong major. It could be that they're having outside personal issues, family issues, health issues, whatever it may be that's kind of taking, requiring their time. Um, or it could really be that this wasn't the right step, that 
that, you know, a vocational school or training is better. It could be that what they really want to be doing is that entrepreneur spirit that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. There's great programs for veterans to start their own businesses and do that. And maybe that's what they should be doing. And again, time and time again, um, I see student veterans kind of get put into the wrong area because there are people who are advising them that are not, don't have the right background or don't have the right tools to advise in the right way. And it really, going back to what I was saying before, needs to be done right as they're transitioning out of the service and kind of figuring out that next step. Because the end result, regardless of what education path you choose, what what is really happening is the transition into the civilian career. I mean, that's what they're doing, whatever that career is. That's the goal. That's the end goal. Karina, do you... As you've talked and you've seen these vets coming on your campus and in your, in your time that you've studied this, um, what is what have you seen from veterans who take time off? You know, from that transition out of the military, maybe they get into the workforce, and they take a lot of time off before they start school. Um, is that does that lead to more success, or is that just time? I don't want to say wasted, but is that what do you what do you think about that? What's your opinion on taking that time? My, my opinion is that time is, is never wasted. It's part of that self-awareness that someone has. So if you do that and you realize that whatever it is that you're doing in between doesn't work, that's great information to have. You Knowing what you want to do a lot of times is also knowing what you don't want to do. And sometimes the best way to find that out is to have that, your, that ex- actual experience. And I would much rather somebody go out and try a field and decide they don't like it, then somebody spend their benefits and get a degree in a major that they they shouldn't be in because they don't like it. Do you know what I mean? Is that I, I, I believe practical experience is incredibly valuable. No, I agree. And I was I was hoping that's been my experience, and I was hoping you would say the same thing. They yeah. you get out, you get the uh, experience, and a lot of times you're right. They they find out what they don't want to do, mm-hmm. and then they get they get a little more focused because. Uh, getting knocked around in the civilian life sometimes can wake you up to what you really want to do. <laughs> it is spoken as though you've experienced that, Les. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that true often of, of most students? I, I have this saying that college is wasted on the young because I really believe that as we get older and wiser and realize what we don't want to do or what we find interesting does make you focus on where you want to go next. How many kids leave college and don't use the degree they used and go into a different field? Well, in the military, they've got this wonderful option to use what they have earned in the GI Bill. But let's go forth and and try it successfully. And Karina, that brings me right to where I wanted to be. Let's talk about your book, The Transitioning Student Veteran, where people can find out more about it and, and how you envisioned this to help them get the most out of their education to go into the career that suits them the best. So first, I'd just like to start by saying how this book came about. I had teamed up with my co-author, Colonel Andrew Griffin, and we were working on designing a student veteran transition course for colleges. And as we were doing our research, what we realized is that There is truly no textbook reference guide out there specifically designed for student veterans transitioning into higher ed. So basically we decided to kind of to write one and which is what we did. 
And the transitioning student veteran is guided by a single principal, and it's to serve as an aid to the student veteran who is transitioning from active duty into higher ed. And the book is specifically tailored to help student veterans incorporate their personal journey of transition from military to college and then design their path to academic and civilian career success. And what we specialize in throughout the book is truly emphasizing that wartime service and making meaning of those experiences and continuing the journey towards being a lifelong learner and having a successful civilian career. And really what it does is take all of those things that we have been talking about throughout the show and puts them in one book. And it's a reference book in the sense that it's for the person who is still on active duty, who maybe is thinking about going back to school or figuring out what it is they want to do as their civilian career. It's for the person who's already transitioned into higher ed and it's kind of like, what major, what's my learning style? Why am I doing this? What do I want to do it for? And it's a great resource for veteran centers um, on campuses to kind of have just as a reference guide in their um, offices. And the book is available uh, publicly tomorrow through the publisher website, which is Vetted Press. Um, and it will be available in Barnes and Noble by the end of the week. And, and let's not forget your website. And it's also available on KarinaMoney.com. There's a link that will take you right there. Perfect. Karina, thank you so much for being on this morning. And I love the discussions that you had with Les as well, because real life stories matter the most. And the book is called The Transitioning Student Veteran. Go to KarinaMoney.com to find out. Come back and visit with us next week. We'll have another great show for you. Have a good week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your